interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Matt Kelly and I take a deep dive into the ever-given ship that ran aground in the Suez Canal. Take a look at it from a risk and control perspective and try to determine if trolls could have helped this in any manner and what that may mean for trolls going forward. We also take a look at issues in the supply chain and ask how well you know not only who's in your supply chain, but critical suppliers. And are you ready for events such as something closing the Suez Canal. Uh, There have been five closings of the Suez Canal in 150 years, so this is obviously something that is a known risk, but are you prepared to uh, have alternate lines of supply or delayed supplies all on compliance into the weeds? This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest compliance, with perhaps the coolest compliance issue we have seen in some time, short of our 100-hour week work week from our friends at Goldman Sachs, which I hope we can talk about some other time. Uh, I'm going to call this the Bodie McBoat issue. Others call it other things, but it is one of the most fascinating demonstrations of uh, the Peter principle uh, and lots of other principles and Murphy's law that I can think of. So Matt, first of all, you got a big old smile on your face. So you look like you're ready to have some fun. This this story, you know, somebody else once described this online as the perfect disaster because it's big and everybody sees it. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got killed. No environmental damage. This is just a wacky thing you could literally see from orbit. So here brings us to the Ever Given and the Suez Canal, Tom. This is just a great, great fodder for discussion. So uh, could you describe what Ever Given is and how it came to impact uh, our lives on radical compliance? Yeah, for the last few people alive who have not yet heard about what happened uh, on St. Patrick's Day last Wednesday, the Ever Given, which is one of the largest cargo container ships in the world, uh, owned by, I think, a Japanese company with of Indian nationals and flagged in Panama and operated by business from some country gets stuck in the Suez Canal in Egypt. Um, and it, it was actually, I, I guess maybe you call it a black swan event. It was the sort of thing that nobody ever thought a cargo ship would get stuck in this manner, which was going to lead us to some risk management discussion later. But there it was, four stories tall, as long as the Empire State Building, 20,000 plus cargo containers on it. And you could see it from orbit. You can see all the satellite photos on Google if you want. And the thing was stuck there from uh, last Wednesday until this morning. Tom, that's how on the, the moment and on the news you and I are. Now it's free, finally, and sailing northward to, I guess, Europe or wherever it's supposed to go, but totally flummoxed all of the world's supply chain for a week. So, Tom, we can either talk about this in an abstract sort of a way about risk management and internal control gone wrong, or we can talk about it in the the macro way of 
supply chain risk management issues the rest of the world has to think about now that this one single ship ground global trade to a halt for nearly a week. Well, why don't we go from uh, the narrow focus on risk management and controls to the larger picture? Because I thought your analysis around the control framework was uh, very prescient. Yeah, it, it was fascinating. Now, I was, um, I hate to say it, but I was stuck on what you would actually say about this cargo ship disaster. Um, but when you think about it, this was a internal control risk management failure that didn't necessarily need to happen, and yet it did. Tremendous consequences. So clearly people should have been thinking about how would you have this happen? How would you then resolve this sort of a disaster? And I'm not necessarily casting aspersions on the Egyptian Suez Canal people either, because they have thought about managing the risk of ships getting grounded in the canal for decades, and yet it still happened. So uh, for real evergreen cargo ship boating enthusiasts. I would recommend that you read the article that ran this weekend in the Financial Times from a man named Brendan Greeley, who is their part-time boat correspondent, which is the best title in journalism I have encountered in years. Um, but he had analyzed what had happened with cargo container ships. So over the last 15 years, the size of these ships has exploded enormously. They have gone from the largest ships in 2007 had about 8,000 containers on them. Now, 14 years later, the largest ships have more than 25,000 or so cargo containers that they carry. That's the max. And that is an increase of, what, more than 300% in 15 years. The Ever Given itself had more than 20,000 containers on it when it got stuck. So we had this enormous growth in the actual thing the cargo ship. And well, what happens then because of that? Uh, there is apparently a whole branch of naval studies uh, looking at hydrodynamics of large item body, large ships in shallow waters. Again, I did not know there was such a thing, but there, there are multiple research centers around the world studying this. And the larger these container ships get, and you can't extend them out to make them longer because they're less maneuverable. So they have to get fatter and they have to get taller. So that exposes them to something called the bank effect, which has to do with the pressure and the flow of water as they go from deep to shallow water, as they go from the Red Sea or the Mediterranean into the canal. Suddenly they're subject to the bank effect. Long story short, the stern of the ship is moving one way at one speed while the bow moves another way at another speed and under certain conditions, like a really windy day, like we saw on St. Patrick's Day. The ship might start to spin and then suddenly get wedged. And that is exactly what happened. And so, Tom, I would say what has happened here is that the transaction, the ship going through the canal, has changed enormously. It has become a non-standard transaction. But the process level controls that we had, the things that exist in the canal to make sure you don't get stuck, they were not designed properly for such a big non-standard transaction. Uh, nobody even had been had a sufficient time to do the risk analysis of what happens. What are the dynamics of a boat that big and water that shallow? And how would this bank effect magnify? And what would we do about that? Um, so nobody did any of that. And 
then we have this boat, enormous, spinning because of the bank effect, out of control. Well, what about the walls of the canal, which are, I guess, like the, the last compensating control that you would have? They were not designed to stop a ship. They were actually designed to stop the waves from the ships because the waves from the ships were never going to be that big because it's not like the ships would ever be that big except the ship was that big. So the waves were a different size. So the walls didn't necessarily prevent anything here. And then when the ship actually made contact with the wall, it cut through it like Swiss cheese because why wouldn't it? It's one of the biggest ships in the world. And the canal walls weren't designed to stop ships like that. So it punched right through, gets stuck in the clay on the other side of the, the walls. That's what actually caused such a disaster for us and you couldn't get it loose. So you have all of this, but all of it, Tom, when you abstract it out to internal control and risk terminology, we had a non-standard transaction and we had not designed the control processes around it to govern against these unwanted risk outcomes. And there we are where we are. Now, I can give you other examples of that more practically in the small little world of corporate compliance, but... When we scale it up to the big, cool, global trade, macroeconomic stuff, that's all that was. That's that's what happened here. So the um, and I thought a lot about that. Uh, and and Matt put all this in his blog, and we're going to link to it as well. It's he has not many must reads, but this is a must read. So must read this one. Um, and I thought about that in the context of two things. One was the ship size. Yep. And the two, the second one though was, and you did hit on this as well as the infrastructure, because we're basically working with infrastructure that was built in 1876. Now it's been widened and there have been some improvements, but it is uh, nearly 150 year old infrastructure. And if we looked at America's highway systems, that's only 60 years old because that was built in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. uh, although the roads in Boston, some have say, were built in the uh, 1600s. Uh, yeah. uh, given their current status. Uh, and so infrastructure is really a huge problem. Uh, one is routine maintenance, but two, uh, as you demonstrate with the ever, ever again, ever given, excuse me, um, the transport size has scaled not just up, but astronomically up. And they're not designed for these types of, of processes and ships to go through. Well, Yes, that's true. But I am even more interested in the idea that the size of the ship grew faster than our ability, not even just to excavate out to make the canal bigger, because, all right, in theory, you could do that. But um, we don't even have the ability yet to fully analyze the water flow dynamics that are involved in a ship this big when it goes from deep to shallow water, which apparently boating experts say, like, that's the issue here, is how the water flows around the ship as it goes from deep water in the Red Sea to shallow water in the canal. And we're still struggling to fully map out and model that. And, and not you need that before you can then say, now we need to expand the canal this much more or make it this much deeper. Um, it is an example of the technology to do the transaction racing ahead of your ability to analyze the risks and then build controls around it. And this is where people might start to say, okay, this feels familiar. 
Business units in the first line of defense are racing ahead of the risk and control functions in the second line of defense and their ability to govern what's going on in the first line. Um, the funny thing is that this is not any new idea in internal control. Uh, just a couple of months ago, Financial Executives International, they had put out a study about um, internal control over financial reporting and how everybody is still frustrated with that. And the number one beef that financial and internal audit executives have with SOX compliance in, in financial reporting is how to define effective internal controls for non-standard transactions. Now, they mean it in terms of different types of money or uh, certain transactions of a certain size, or we're expanding into new territories and we need to think about we have overseas agents. We've never had to think about our accounting policies for that. How do we make that fit? But same stuff, different field, uh, non-standard transaction, and we don't know how to build effective internal control for it. Um, so like, look, the, the shipping analogy is cool and the visuals are great and the, the memes are hilarious, but all it really is for a lesson for the rest of us is we need to slow down our acceptance of non-standard transactions to be sure. Do we really know that our internal controls, our processes are designed to handle that? Because they weren't in the Suez incident here. So how does or how do you communicate that if you can't manage the risk, you can't build a control for it? Doesn't uh, it really start with that basic premise? I, I would say so. And uh, I think many people will be shocked to hear that sometimes the ones who stand to make a lot of money don't really care that the internal controls may not be able to handle their great big transaction. They want to shove it through anyways, which is literally what happened here. Um, they, they had a boat that was too big to accommodate uh, and they shoved it on through. Um, now, yes, other boats have gone through the Suez Canal before that have been that large, but they have gone through under different weather conditions. And they've gone through, frankly, with luck that the hydrodynamics of the water flowing around them didn't create just the sort of perfect storm, for lack of a better word, that caused the gigantic cargo ship to spin and get stuck. That never happened before until the Ever Given. But the conditions had been there for that to happen. Uh, they all aligned perfectly this time around. So it did happen. Uh, but it's just a case of the the greed and economics of modern global supply chains getting ahead of um, modern physics and hydrodynamics and our ability to govern how we shove these things through a very shallow canal. Well, let's turn to supply chain now, because I've, I, until I read your post, I had really focused on the supply chain aspect of this. I looked it up and there have been five closures of the Suez Canal since 1876. So it's a known event, it, mm -hmm. admittedly rare, but it can occur. But the blockage in a strait or other small body of water is not an unknown event. And indeed, uh, certainly here in Houston, in the energy industry, they model what might happen if Iran or some other power closed the Straits of Hormuz. And so this seems to me to be not only a, a known risk, but a risk that could be measured from the supply chain perspective in terms of uh, uh, whether it's just in time or getting your supplies in time or just regular uh, uh, seafaring traffic, that this should be a known event and that people should plan for it. But I, I got the sense that maybe you looked at it from a different perspective. 
Well, uh, just more that I, I agree that the closure of the canal or some other sudden disruption at choke point, like that's not news to supply chain uh, professionals. They understand that that risk is out there. I think that this just underlined for us all in like really big red marker, the importance of supply chain risk management. And especially I would say the data analytics around supply chain management that is a relatively recent phenomena, but you know the technology is now there to really understand and model how would our operations be affected by something like this. So you would need to understand which of your supplies actually are critical components. Um, physically, where are they at any point in the world? Uh, where are they coming from in case you find need to find an alternative source? Um, it gets to issues like inventory tracking and how many of the supplies do we have right now and how quickly would we get down to zero if we had no fresh supplies to coming in the back door as the finished goods are going out the front door. Um, you know, how much are your inventories? Uh, how much do you have as reserves in contracts with backup suppliers in case of, you know, there's some contingency clause that you can activate and get reserve supplies from somebody else? Um you know, all of the modeling that you would need to think through about what would this do for uh, your financial obligations if suddenly certain components and materials become much more expensive to you. What do you do with that cost? Do you eat it? Do you pass it on to the customer? Does this affect a debt covenant or a liquidity ratio of some kind where suddenly you're in deeper trouble? And how do you network all of, you know, your physical supply chain monitoring and your inventory, which is procurement and maybe, I don't know, some sort of accounting issue where you're trying to keep track of it all, uh, and your financial risks, you have to tie all of that together. The technology is there for it. Um, like I said, this isn't a new thing. It's just <laughs> the Ever Given has really given us a powerful example of how much you need to pay attention to this if you're in global shipping. Tom, I don't know, did you see the Suez Canal traffic report, that spoof that was out on Twitter? No. So check it out because some former traffic reporter from Chicago looked at all of the transit and trade routes uh, and did a quick on TikTok. He did a spoof traffic report. Um, and now it's fascinating. You hear his chit chat and he zooms in and he starts with the ever given stuck right there in the canal. But he zooms out and out and out. And you see the, I don't know, thousands, thousands of ships eventually at the end of the report and how they're being rerouted all over the world. It uh, just gives you a sense of the scale of confusion that this one event has caused. So, you know, as much as we all might like to say supply chain management is important, and I don't think anyone would dispute that, it's like, no, this it really, really is important. And you need to think about this all the time from a risk management perspective. Could we maybe take this last concept around supply chain and risk management and, and end with some thoughts on how does the compliance professional think about this? Is procurement and supply chain so specialized that uh, under the greater either ESG, uh, CRM or compliance umbrella, it's too narrow? Or how does a CCO go down the hall and have a conversation or get on a Zoom call and have a conversation with the head of procurement to start to talk about these risks? Well, I think a good way to figure it would be first to, to find out who is the person you would go and talk to about this, because at most large organizations, it will be some head of procurement. 
Uh, but if you don't have a head of procurement, well, then where do your supplies all come from and how do we know this? Um, you know, just figure out who does own this. I would not think the compliance officer needs to own this, but some head of procurement or risk management uh, is probably in charge of trying to figure out the sourcing and how to make sure that your supply chain risks are working from an operational perspective. For the compliance officer, I would be talking with him or her, the person in charge of supply chain, about what are the regulatory implications for some of our supply chain scenarios. If they closed the canal and we suddenly had to source our goods from somewhere else, who is that person? How do we know that that backup supplier isn't on an OFAC sanctioned list? How do we know that they don't have some sort of corruption or human trafficking issue that's up to their eyeballs where if we signed on with them, suddenly we have that exposure as well. Um, and just try to take the supply chain risk program that they have and put a bit of a compliance risk analysis around all of that, especially on questions like contingent suppliers um, and performing due diligence on backup suppliers. Uh, that's where I would pay the most attention if I were a compliance officer. Well, Matt, this is uh, I really was looking forward to this podcast. Uh, it's rare when I read your posts and I can actually see you smiling while you're typing it and hear your voice while I'm reading it. And this was one of them. So it was really good. It's a great disaster to have. Nobody got hurt, no damage done, tons of lessons learned. Just glad to be here. <laughs> okay. Till next week. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will join Matt and I each Monday at 3 p.m. Central, where we live stream Compliance Into the Weeds. And you can pitch questions to us and be part of the engagement and commentary. If you have any questions for Matt, you can reach him at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will uh, join us again for an audio podcast or the live stream once again at 3 p.m. Central Time each Monday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.